Accessing library computer data. Level 9 authorization required. Command codes verified. Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who also happen to have children on the autism spectrum. We talk about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series, as well as any autism issues we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hi, this is Vicki. We are Moms Going Boldly. Welcome to Moms Going Boldly. On today's podcast, we're talking about the episode, An Oval for Sharon. And welcome back to Moms Going Boldly. Today we're talking about the episode, An Oval for Sharon. What did you think of this episode, Vicki? Um, I liked it. Um, not as much as the first couple of episodes. Okay. I think I'm starting to get bored with this whole storyline already. You mean the red angel thing? Um, all of it, yeah. 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 Um, so I did like it. I did not like it as much as the first couple episodes. Um, I was glad that, um, I don't remember her name, Jet was back. Yes. Was that her name? Yeah. I was glad to see her back. Yeah, she added a great deal of wonderful comic relief. And it's funny, coincidentally, um, we had talked about her a couple of episodes ago when we first met her yes. and neither of us knew who she was, but she looked familiar. And coincidentally, I just watched the latest episode of, uh, Finding Your Roots and she was one of the three people on the show. Cool. Heard of her before and all of a sudden she's everywhere. Yeah. But they did say that she, and I don't know what year it was, but suffered, um, some kind of a bacterial infection, some kind of rare bacterial infection that almost killed her. And then when she recovered from that, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh my goodness. And I kind of remember that story. So maybe that's why I knew her from somewhere because it kind of rang a bell that I might've read about her before. Yeah. Huh, awesome. Well, I, I was happy to see her and um, and I really enjoyed the comic relief that she brought to scenes that would otherwise be kind of goofy. Uh, so yes. I have to say I really liked this episode quite a bit. Um, I liked its ex- examination of death um, from a variety of different perspectives. It was, a st- it was an episode that had essentially three main stories. The first story was an encounter with a giant red sphere. Mm. Now I really, really hope that our writers, with their long-term arc in mind, have a, a good reason for making the sphere red. Otherwise, I think they're focused on red too much this season. Yes, absolutely. Because I don't know if we were supposed to be confused by this and think that maybe it was a red angel or related to the red angel or what, but in the end we discovered that the sphere is not related to the red angels and so I felt like that was, I don't know, just 
not something that we needed. It could have been a different color. <laughs> so that part bothered me. But that was really the only thing that bothered me. So the Enterprise is warping along, you know, top speed, trying to catch up with Spock's shuttlecraft in order to stop him from getting away so they could help him with his murder charges and his connection with these red angels. And they're suddenly pulled out of warp by this giant sphere. And their first assumption, which I thought was really interesting because it's sort of antithetical to start to the Federation, was that this was an attack. And so everything they do regarding this sphere is to repulse this presumed attack. And one of the things that happens as soon as they're grabbed by this sphere is that Saru starts demonstrating the symptoms of a disease that is common on his planet for anyone who reaches a certain age. And we learn that this disease is deadly and that he's going to die from it. And that this is one of the reasons why the species on his planet essentially give themselves up to be eaten by their space-born predators because if they're not eaten, they're going to die of this disease and they believe the disease is triggered by the sphere and they don't know how to cure it and you know there's a great deal of of angst going on uh, on board because Saru is you know fatally ill in addition we've got and this is where um, Jet's scenes come in we've got Jet and Stamets and Tilly down in engineering trying to deal with angry spore May who desperately wants Tilly back because she's got a plan for her. And yes. and so this, and this is where, like I said, these scenes could have been really, really silly. <laughs> um, you know, that you know Tilly's being attacked by the spore and Spamitz doesn't know what to do and the spore is mad at Stamets and, you know, so Jet's character just keeps it light and funny to the point where she even, what was it, takes a piece of gum to fix something? God, yes. that, that was funny. <laughs> tape, yeah. Duct tape and chewing gum was awesome. But um, in the end, we discover that things are not as they seem. This sphere, and, and it's Saru, who's also dying, that figures out that this sphere is dying and is trying to communicate with the Discovery in order to essentially give it its last will and testament. Where it's, you know, they, they figure out that the sphere is like 10, 100,000 years old and, and, and it's trying to give everything it knows to the discovery. And so Saru talks them into lowering their shields and letting it happen. And, and that was kind of cool. And I was glad that I, I'm really liking this Christopher Pike character. I'm liking how they're writing him. Yes, I do too. Yeah. Yes. And what I'm really liking about it is that he is not the main character of this story. Last season, we were told that Michael Burnham was going to be the main character of the Discovery series, but boy, we spent a lot of time focused on Captain Lorca. Yeah. And Captain Lorca was a mystery, and Captain Lorca was a focus in a lot of episodes. But this season, Captain Pike is really taking a back seat. He's rubber stamping, thoughtfully and realistically, rubber stamping the decisions of his crew, but it's Michael Burnham and other crew members who were pushing the story along. And I really like that. So, Captain Pike trusts his crew, trusts Saru, trusts 
Michael Burnham and agrees to stop fighting the sphere. And sure enough, Saru's right. The sphere starts downloading its 100,000 years worth of data and memories into their computer. And it's all, you know, really great. They're able to, to honor the last wish of this dying entity. Meanwhile, down in engineering, they're losing the battle with May and the spore, spore thing. And she wraps Tilly up in some kind of weird cocoon. It's really gross looking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they get her out of the cocoon. But they realize that they only thought they got her out of the cocoon and the sport. That's what I was wondering. They didn't really get her out. I don't think they did. Right? I think that was all part of... I didn't of, think so either. Yeah, I think that was all part of the hallucination that they were getting from the really... Hallucination. Yeah, the fun fungi spores that may release to make them see things and feel things, which was also a hilarious scene. Jet is... Which one? Well, when, Jet, when Stamets and Jet interacted and they're like, ooh, we're under the influence of some weird oh. spore, aren't we? Will you please slap me? Yeah, yeah, yes. slap me yes. too. I mean... <laughs> no, I love Stamets, Stamets, but all of his scenes to this point have been, like I said, very cartoony. And do you think this one was too? What? Do you think this scene was cartoony sorry, too? What? Yes, I, I do. I think I... I uh, up until this point, I feel like all of his scenes have been very cartoonish. What do you his, mean? His acting, Say more about that. Is it just very two-dimensional? I don't know. I can't put my finger on it, but I know I've said that before. I said that in the first um, ep the first or second episode when he was trying to get May out of Tilly. I just felt that whole scene... That he was very, I don't, I don't know. He's not Stamets. He's very uh, light. Not even. I, I can't say lighthearted. He's just goofy or something. I don't know what it is about him. But um, his scenes up until this point. I mean, we're not talking about next week. But to this point, I felt like all of his scenes. His he, he, he resembled like a cartoon character. He was. I don't know how else to describe it. We have seen the next uh, episode, and so, as Vicky kind of alluded to, we do have a different perspective of Stamets from that episode, but in this episode, I agree, we see sort of a goofy Stamets and a thoughtful Stamets. But I will dis disagree at one moment, because after they realized that they were under the influence of the fungus that made them hallucinate, and... Mm -hmm. They realized they never got Tilly out of the weird cocoon, and he checked the cocoon, and she was gone. He seemed to be genuinely upset, and I didn't yeah. see a cartoonish moment there. It seemed like it was very powerfully full of depth and passion. Absolutely, and like I said, up until that point, from hallucinating. So, um, yeah, he he felt he all of his scenes felt cartoony to me until. Like you said, they realized that they didn't have Tilly, after all. So I'm kind of wondering if maybe this sort of sense of cartoony was actually his, the character's disconnect after he lost Paul. And, it could be. And he didn't allow himself to really feel anything until Tilly kind of worked her way back in underneath his, the shell he had created. And then when he lost her, that was, 
You know, we got to see the real thing, finally. Yeah, I don't know. So we end the episode then after they lose Tilly and they gain the knowledge from the 100,000-year-old sphere. We see Michael Burnham and Saru together at what is essentially Saru's end-of-life moment. And he is asking her to help him with what is going to be a very painful process. And he's asking her to remove his ganglia, you know, those wonderful things that extend out from the back of his head when he's afraid. Because apparently they're infected and that's going to cause them to, you know, make bring him a lingering death, this infected ganglia thing. And so she reluctantly agrees, even though, I guess, removing the ganglia will cause instant death. Is that the kind of the sense you got too? That was, yeah, that was the sense that I got, yeah. yeah. So she reaches up to remove the ganglia and they fall off in her hands, which is kind of gross, but interesting. Yeah. And it's that moment that they realize that Saru is not actually dying and that the infection or inflammation of the ganglia and having them fall off is actually part of his species' natural development. But there's a culture that says this is something else, and that's what makes it easy for Saru's the Kelpians to be harvested by those that eat them. And it's very disturbing. It is, yeah. Um, and poor Saru, his entire worldview has changed in a moment. Yes, yay, he's not going to die, but oh boy, this means that everyone he loves and cares cared about was unnecessarily slaughtered. Right. So kind of an ugly, dark, right. dark thing. So we have these three different, uh, go ahead. No, I was just, um, you know, all of the first season, all of the time Saru talked about his, um, you know, home world and how they were prey. This is not what I imagined, imagined prey. Like, you know, when they showed the woods and you know how fast he could run because they were prey yeah i imagine people hunting them yes yes that's true this this uh, you know okay everybody get on the ship and we're going to slaughter you kind of thing yeah and for those who have not seen it this is one of the shorts that's available on cbs so we highly recommend going to go see that because you don't learn that about saru's culture in the star trek series proper, you get that information out of the shorts. And so we should definitely talk about those shorts, Vicki, one of these days down the line. Yeah, yeah. And I agree with you. There was this sense that it was um, a, a hunt, a hunt of, yes. of and, and that, and not sort of just a sacrifice. Yes. Yeah. The other thing that I... I mean, even if... Go ahead. Even if you don't see the shorts, I mean, just from what he's saying, you, you understand that. Yeah. What we thought. Yeah as we said a hunt was not what was going on on this planet the other and then there was another odd thing he said because he said he wanted to be the best kelpian in starfleet yes um there's no other kelpians in starfleet right so he sorry there's no other kelpians in starfleet no you're right? right you're right because you know just taking him was a violation of the prime directive right so yeah now we can go ahead and 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 interpret that as, you know, to 
not let his species down and make his species proud. But yeah, it's it, it's an interesting uh, change shift, and it's it's a very subtle shift, but it's a shift from season one. Uh, the other piece of it that I was interested about is that you know the idea of of a of a sentient species being prey was always a very a risky idea for the writers mm. because yeah. it suggests uh, you know that it blurs the line of you know where is the line of what sentience is where is the line of what you know the connectivity between the predator and the prey is and I always thought that was kind of brave of the writers to do that you know there's an assumption that other species in the Federation are all dominant food chain species kinds of things mm-hmm. Klingons humans definitely Romulans Vulcans and so to have the idea that this was not a dominant food, food chain species but that was still sentient and came aboard was I think sort of again like Star Trek always has so put it pushing forward socially new and brave ideas and they seem to have backed away from that which I was a little disappointed by so one of the things that I wanted to kind of talk about was the three perspectives of death that we got from this episode. We got this perspective of death of from the sphere, which is, you know, it was its life was coming to an end and it wanted to share everything it knew. It wanted to give the gift of its legacy. And then we have the perspective of Saru's death, which was this inevitability um, that came to all of his species except that it really wasn't. So we have the inevitable old age sort of death and then the non-inevitable death that destroys an entire cultural concept. And then we had the pseudo-death of Tilly because Stamets and Jet thinks she was killed by this cocoon. And so we Mm. have we have those three different kinds of death. And so when I was thinking back on the whole idea of an oval for Sharon, which was the name of the title, you know, the coin that you give the ferryman to cross the river Styx, what was the <coughs> oval? That's what I was, and I, and I have to say, I never thought Tilly was dead because A, she's a main character, and B, was she the one that crossed over into Hades, right? That's what I was kind of wondering. We had, right. we had the sphere, was his oval, was, was his gift the knowledge? before he died. Certainly Saru was ready to do whatever he needed to do to cross over to death in a peaceful way. And then Tilly was the one who actually was taken suddenly and taken someplace else without without knowing where she went. And I just thought that was really fascinating the way they did that. I can't recall any episode of Star Trek, and correct me if you think of, of, of one, where they really explored the ideas of death the way this one did. It's the top of my head now. I can't think of anything. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to think. You know, of course, there's the one where Spock, the, the movie where Spock dies, but I don't think they actually spent a lot of time on the, the death itself. No, they didn't. Yeah. I don't think that, you know, this one I thought was really bold for lack of a better word, to kind of look at that from these three different, and, and in addition to Stamets, who is grieving a death, 
Um, and I, I really, I, I really liked it. For that, I really liked it. I thought it was bold. I liked the way that it was willing to do that. It was thoughtful. It was cerebral. Um, so I, I really enjoyed it. And I really did think that Saru was going to die. I thought they were just, you know, that was the end of his character. Really? I did. I, yeah. I mean, a lot of shows nowadays get rid of their main characters just to throw you and it didn't it wasn't it wasn't wouldn't have shocked me if he he died oh i would have been terribly upset i'm very much of the oh, always... I think... go ahead yeah no i i i was ready for it i wasn't you know i really did believe he was gonna die i'm very much of the old school of keep my main characters alive please <laughs> yeah but i'm not and I see, I see the way things work now. I mean, yeah, you can never count on a main character staying alive yeah. these days. I mean, in, in this show, obviously, we know that Pike isn't going to die, you know, because he has a another history. show to do yeah. or Spock. But, um, yeah, I was perfectly um, prepared for Saru to die. Well, I have to tell you, I am not. I thought that was... Go ahead. What? I was just going to say, that's just not the kind of show I watch, and I probably would have been profoundly turned off by it. You know, I, I've i never seen Game of Thrones, and I don't want to see Game I of Thrones either. because yeah. <laughs> I, I am not interested in becoming fond of characters and then having them taken away from me. That's not the kind of entertainment that I enjoy. So I'm, I'm glad, my friend, that you were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not saying I was happy to see him go. Sure. But I was just. But you were ready. I really <laughs> yeah, I was convinced that he was going. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad that didn't happen. So, so any other thoughts on this episode? Really no. So the next episode we're going to review is called Saints of Imperfection, and we will talk about that in detail on the next episode of Moms Going Boldly. <laughs> You can continue exploring the universe with Moms Going Boldly by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash momsgoingboldly and on Twitter at momsgoingboldly. The music used on Moms Going Boldly is Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. On Twitter at Ross Bugden, licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, creativecommons.org. complete.